I've got a daughter and a son. Uh, my daughter just turned 15 yesterday, and so we're into the world of teaching her to drive. It's like a thrill ride, and uh, so I'm looking forward to the next uh, year of trying to work through that. Uh, and then my son is uh, five years old, and so he's a joy just to himself. We got a huge gap in between. I think the reason why is God wanted me to be really old when I had my uh, second kid, and so I wouldn't have any energy, and also he blessed me with one early so that uh, she could be kind of like a mini mom, and she is. And that's great. Honestly, a lot of people have asked me how, how things go, and some of you have been to Oakland Heights, and uh, you've been to Cartersville before. Man, the church is doing so well. Uh, I shared with a couple of people already um, that I was reading through one of the Songs of Degrees um, last week. It's, uh, I think it's Psalm 126, but he says, When the Lord turned our captivity, we were like those that dream. And it says, My, Our mouth was full of laughter, our mouth was full of singing. And uh, that's the way, honestly, the ministry is right now. It's not always like that. There are seasons of ups and downs. And it, those of you who know more, our church a little bit more know that in the last couple of years have been uh, a, a tough season for us. And uh, God has... Um, moved us into such a season of joy. And in fact, as I continued through that Psalm 126, uh, it says, it kind of explains how they got to this place of everything being like a dream and everything uh, being like their mouth are full of singing and laughter and everything so wonderful and great. I don't know if that's the way things are in your life, but God showed me that the, the reason it got that way is in the last couple verses of that Psalm where it says that he, they that sow in tears will reap in joy. And, and those that go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing and bringing their sheaves with them. And that's what God has allowed us to see. We went through some times of weeping in our church. And uh, just through, I think, some of what God was doing was getting me more um, intentional about the gospel and about my specific role, not just as a pastor to mobilize my church, but for me personally to be a witness and to see this as the purpose of my life. And so in this season of weeping, uh, God gave me uh, some opportunities naturally and then compelled me to go out and, and make some opportunities for the gospel. And through it, God has brought us to a place of rejoicing in our church. It's not just me, it's, it's our church. They have a heart for sharing the gospel. And, um, almost um, about every other week, we see somebody come to faith, maybe more often than that, we see somebody come to faith through the ministries of the church, and that's outside of their personal relationships and what they're doing. So we're just blessed. Uh, and I, I want to share with you, this is kind of um, what's been special to me in the last year. Um, and so I wanted to share some of this with you, um, and I call them the series that we're going to study together, Bridge. And we're going to talk about um, being a bridge to the lost world. You, you probably are familiar with that, uh, the graphic that's on the screen. You've seen this picture before of a, a cavern and the cross is in the middle. Have you seen that before? And, and God is on one side and you're on the other side. And it's a beautiful uh, picture because it, it shows how that uh, Jesus connects. He reconciles a sinner to a holy God. This is the reason why he came, and now we, as the body of Christ, that our very identity affirms that we have the same calling. We're to be a bridge to the lost world, and it's likely that if you're like me, this terrifies you. Is anybody in here an introvert? Of course, wow, I, don't, I question, because there's no way I would raise my hand if somebody said, is somebody in here an introvert? I'm not raising my hand. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be seen. But it's likely you're terrified of evangelism. 
scared to share the gospel. Maybe you're afraid of awkwardness. That's me, that's the world I live in. Maybe you're afraid of questions that you can't answer. Maybe you're afraid of rejection or being considered judgmental or rude or pushy with your religion. There are fears that we have. We're afraid to share the gospel. But it doesn't have to be terrifying. And I hope to show you that in these series some simple steps that you can take to really become a bridge to lost people. And today, I hope that you see that you are actually made for this. You think that you're not the evangelist. You think that that's not for you, it's for somebody else. But the truth is, if, if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you were made for evangelism. It's what you were designed for. And so I've got a big idea at the top of your study guide today, and if you just take a look at that, the big idea, we call this the rhyme master. Every once in a while, the rhyme master makes his way into our big ideas of our sermons. That's what my daughter calls us anyway. She calls me the rhyme master. So here's the the big idea for today. God made you a new creature called to be a preacher. And this is messing with some of you right now. You're like, I don't know, I'm a woman. I don't think I'm called to be a preacher. Uh, But I know that like in in Georgia, they they conflate those terms, pastor or elder of a church and a preacher. And so they'll often call me preacher. But I know here in the Midwest, you guys have much more Bible knowledge. You know that that term preacher isn't a designation for the office of a bishop. Instead, it's someone who proclaims the gospel. And so in Romans chapter 10, and it says, how can they be saved unless there's a preacher? He's not talking about there has to be an ordained uh, pastor there to lead them to the Lord. Someone has to proclaim the gospel. That's what has to happen. And the truth is that you, if you are in Christ, if you have been saved today, that you have been made a new creature and you're called to be a preacher. That's all I got. No, (laughs) some of you are doubting me. So would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter five? I wanna show you this from the Bible. Whatever I say, it doesn't matter. It matters what God says in his word. That's what's literally gonna change our lives. And so 2 Corinthians chapter five, Verses 17 through 21, that's going to be our text uh, today. In verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to, him by, uh, to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us that ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Can we just take a moment and pray together before I get started? Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we've already had a great night, a great beginning. Um, But God, we've we've gotten up, we've, we've gathered in this place and we wanna give you this time. Would you turn our affections and our attention, our focus, our thoughts away from all the activities of this week or the responsibilities that we left behind or the schedule of things that are coming up? God, would you meet with us during this precious time? 
We need to hear from you. And God, I need you to do the work that only you can do in people's lives. As we open your word, would you honor it by convicting our hearts, by encouraging us, and we'll give you all the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, our text said in verse 17, you, you may know this, maybe you've memorized this verse, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. In Christ means that you've been saved. You, you know, when, when you got saved, what happened is God placed you in Jesus Christ, and now you are in him, and if that has happened, then you are a new creature. And when you get saved, uh, you're an entirely different person. But more than that, more than just being a different person, you're like an entirely different species. You're an entirely different being. You are a totally new creature. It's like you're, you're not even human anymore or something. More than being a horse of a different color, you're an altogether different animal. And we don't have time to go through all of it. In fact, honestly, I don't understand all of this new creature. But I got some points in your notes that you can look up those references later. But you need to know that the composition has, has changed. What, what composes a creature before you are saved is different than after you're saved because before you're saved, you have a live body, a live soul, but you got a dead spirit. You are living in 2D. But what happens when you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates you and you are born again of the Holy Spirit. And so now you have a live body, a live soul, and a live spirit. Now you've gone from 2D to 3D. Your composition has completely and totally changed. And this does not mean that as a Christian, you won't desire physical things. What it does mean is that you're gonna desire spiritual things. And as a spiritual being with spiritual life, you're gonna want the Bible. You're gonna want to pray to this this God who made you and you can have a relationship with. You're gonna wanna be involved in church. You're gonna wanna serve. You're gonna wanna praise because you're, you're a new creature. But not only has your composition changed, your nature has changed. The nature uh, that you had before you were in Christ, you you had human nature. But when you get saved, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, when you come to faith in Christ, you are given, you are now partakers of the divine nature, that God's nature is now in you. This is what Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the old man and the new man. The old man is who your nature before you were saved. Every person is born with this old man. But that's all they have as long as you're lost. But when you're in Christ, you're a new creature and you're given God's divine nature. That doesn't mean that you're no longer going to behave in your old nature. But it does mean you now have the power to put off that old man and to put on that new man and walk in a newness of life because you're a new creature. Lost people don't even have that opportunity. But if you're saved today, you have that. Your nature, you've been totally changed. The character of the new nature is the next one in your notes. Even our text said in verse 21 that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Your character has been totally transformed from a soul corrupted by sin to a righteous saint. You see, Being in Christ isn't about modifying your behavior, trying harder not to sin, improving your morals. God creates an entirely new creature made the righteousness of God. Your your character is totally transformed and this doesn't mean that the Christian won't sin. 
but it does mean as a new creature, you're gonna start hating that sin and you're gonna start loving righteousness. The last one in your notes is the purpose of the new creature. As a new creature, you have an entirely different purpose. If we were to back up in our text to verse 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 15, it says, and that he died for all, that's what Jesus did, he died for all. And he's gonna tell you why. When he begins with that, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, in your old man, you know what the purpose of your life was? In your old nature, it was just to please yourself. You did all the things that made you happy, and maybe you did good for others, but it was always with the intention of making yourself feel better. But now, as a new creature in Christ, your goal, your, your purpose is to please him. And that doesn't mean that a Christian will never choose self, but it does mean that a Christian is going to intensely desire to please the Lord. That's not natural. Maybe you've been saved for a long time and you think those things are just, they're just part of who you are now as a new creature and you haven't taken time to consider that the lost world doesn't live like that. The reason why you have this newness in you is because Jesus saved you and God made you a new creature. And all the facets of what this new creature is like, we, we don't have time to cover it and honestly, I don't personally understand all of it. I do know this in 1 John chapter three. It says, uh, beloved, now we are the sons of God. Okay, now, that's with present tense. We are the sons of God. But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Here's the good news. Uh, we don't understand everything about this new creature, and we haven't even realized it yet. It hasn't become a reality in our lives yet. God has so much more planned, and you can look at Romans chapter eight and see that he has so much more planned. The best is certainly yet to come. So we, we can't really even understand all of the facets of this new creature. Maybe you can discern that since your salvation, a lot of things have changed. Maybe you can identify with having a new composition. You've got the spiritual life and desire for spiritual things and you've got a, a new nature that you can put on. You've got a new character that you embrace and along with those things, you have a new purpose. A purpose that is actually the focus of our text. Of all the things and all the places we could go to to talk about this new creature. Here when God lays it out in 2 Corinthians chapter five, the purpose of the new creature is to be a preacher. He says in verse 17, behold, all things are become new. And then he says in the very next verse, and all things are of God, that same phrase. So everything in your life, opportunities, abilities, experiences, relationships, all things are of God. Why has God given you all those things in your life? Why do you have the abilities and the opportunities, the personality that you have? It wasn't by mistake. It's because God has created you to be a preacher of the gospel, to be a witness, to reconcile a lost man to a holy God, to be a bridge. And so in that, he is, he's given you three things, and I want you to see those are three main points in your study guide, the first one is this. You are given the ministry of reconciliation. 
As a new creature, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And How many of you um, have a checkbook? Anybody in here have a checkbook? Okay, everybody 40 and over has a checkbook. <laughs> Any of you reconcile your checkbook? Oh, man. <laughs> People like 50 years old and older reconcile their checkbooks. Most of the people in this crowd, it seems, just swipe it. You have no idea where that money goes. I don't know. I get paid. I spend money. Who, who knows? And we're not here to talk about financial prudence. Uh, I, but the, the idea is to reconcile is to bring back into agreement after variance or separation. You'd write checks, but you need to, you know, you don't need to, I guess. I'm not telling you what to do. But the purpose of reconciling a checkbook is to make sure that your register matches what's going on in the bank or what's going to go on when those checks clear. Right? So every time we look in the Bible and we look at the word reconcile, it's about bringing two people who were separated back into harmony, back into agreement or friendship or union to reconcile. It, you can track this all through the Bible in, in Leviticus chapter 6. It's the sin offering that reconciles from sin's division. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, there's a broken relationship between David and Saul that needs to be reconciled. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, when you got aught, your brother has aught against you, you need to leave your gift at the altar so you can be reconciled from this broken, damaged relationship that you have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11, it talks about the reconciliation of a husband whose wife has departed him. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says Jesus reconciles all people unto God by the cross of Christ. That's what reconciliation is. It's taking two, two peoples who were separated, estranged, set at variance, and bringing them together to be unified. And this is the ministry that our text says that God has given to every single new creature. Let me show you this in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 21 says, and you, that's you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's what caused the alienation. That's what caused the separation. It's sin. Yet now, hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and reprovable in his sight. And so Jesus reconciled you, a sinner, alienated, an enemy. He reconciled you to God through his flesh. And then God gave you that same exact ministry to do what Jesus did, how he reconciled you. Now he said, now you go and you reconcile others. Look at verse 18 again in case you missed it. It says, he's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That pronoun us is the same one in both cases. He reconciled us and then he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Man, it's been well noted that Verse 18 always follows verse 17, right? So if verse 17, you have been made a new creature in Christ, then verse 18, you have been given a new ministry. That new creature has a new ministry, and it's to reconcile the lost world to a holy God. 
And you were hoping it doesn't say what it says, but if you look in verse 17, it says, if any man be in Christ. Maybe you're flipping for another version of the Bible, hoping that it doesn't say any man. You were hoping it said, if you know, pastors and elders have been given the ministry of reconciliation, or God has given to deacons the ministry of reconciliation, or God has given to leaders and teachers the ministry of reconciliation. Maybe you're thinking, God has given the ministry of reconciliation to those people who have all the answers. God's given that ministry to extroverts. God's given that, people to, that ministry to people with influence or people with nothing to lose. But you know who he's given it to? Any man who's in Christ. If you have been made a new creature, God has given you a new ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. And we don't have, I wish we had more time just to really drill down into what he says in verse 19. But can I just give you a, just a quick pointer as you think about your ministry of reaching the lost, to bring a bridge, to reconcile them to God. Jesus is the one who started this ministry. And he tells us in verse 19 exactly how Jesus did it. And these are key points for us to understand how to, how to do this ministry. It says in verse 19, to wit, that's to understand or to know. This is what you need to know. That God was in Christ. So let's just start there. You need, if you're going to be a bridge, if you're going to take part in this ministry of reconciliation, you need to make sure that God is in you. Now, we know if you're saved, the Holy Spirit, you're, you're sealed, bro. But what you need to be is more than just sealed. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to effectively reach lost people, you've got to make sure that God is in you and that he's controlling you and that he's filling you. Listen, there's tremendous protection for those who are filled with the Spirit. They can go into this world and they can be a witness. But listen, if you're not filled with the Spirit, this world is a dangerous place for you to be. And you'll slip and fall. Listen, you've got to be so cautious to make sure that God is in you, that you're filled with the Spirit. He goes on in verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And if you think about how Jesus did this, he just didn't stay up in heaven at his lofty throne with the angels around him in a perfect environment and call down, hey, all you sinners, be reconciled to God. You know what he did? He became like us. He came down, the Holy One of God, came down to this wretched, wicked world. So if you're going to take part in this ministry of reconciliation, make sure that you're filled with the Spirit. But then you got to go out into the world. You can't live in your Christian bubble, watching Christian TV and listening to Christian music and going to a Christian school and going to a Christian work and only having Christian friends and wearing Christian clothes. I don't really know what that is. I'm sure someone is trying it. You must connect with lost people. That's what a bridge does. You have to have one leg of that bridge on God. You've got to be reaching out in prayer. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But then with the other end, you're not a bridge if you're not reaching the lost, if you're not spanning the gap. So you've got to have a connection. You've got to talk to people. You've got to touch people. You've got to connect with people and love people and help people. This is the ministry of reconciliation. And it's the very reason 
the very purpose for which you were created a new creature. He goes on in verse 19, talking about Jesus. He says, not imputing their trespasses unto them. This is Jesus, the Holy One, lovingly pursued reconciliation for sinners. And instead of shunning sinners, rather than, than repudiating them, he ate with sinners. He talked with them. He touched them. He healed them. Their sin did not deter him from his ministry. And it can't ours as well. Christians, we get so frustrated that lost people are acting like lost people. We expect them to have the composition of a new creature, the character of a new creature, and they don't. They live like lost people because they're lost. So you must not be put off by appearances or their language or their social views or their politics or their religious views. Listen, we should hate sin, but we can't let that keep us from loving sinners. Jesus is our example. And for this ministry, he laid down his life. And I wonder what you'd be willing to do. To reach lost people, to reconcile them to a holy God, would you be crucified? Would, would you allow yourself to be beaten? Would you endure mocking or ridicule? Would you be criticized? To fulfill your purpose, would you be willing to go to jail or to lose your job? Would you sacrifice the comfort of your silence? Would you care more about their eternity than your desire for acceptance? Would you designate one hour of your week for the sole purpose of connecting with lost people to be a bridge? You see, if, if you are in Christ, you're a new creature. And the purpose of this creature is to fulfill a new ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. But you know, the beautiful thing is every time God calls you to do something, he always empowers you to do it. And so I want to give you number two in your notes. You are committed the word of reconciliation. Verse 17 and 18 really focus on that, that ministry of reconciliation. But verse 19 says, he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And if we just do some Bible study comparison, allow those words to define themselves, we go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5, we find out that's the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, we find the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is the power. See, he's given you a purpose. That's the ministry. But he's also given you power to accomplish that, and that is the gospel. It's powerful. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel, the the account of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the power of God and the salvation. So you don't have to have the power to win lost people. You don't have to have the power to persuade them. All you have to do is make a connection with them and preach the gospel. And the power is in the gospel. It produces life itself. He says he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. In other words, he, he's put it as an entrustment to us. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1.11. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul recognized that the gospel wasn't just a story that he could rejoice in, 
It was a tool that he's been entrusted with to fulfill his ministry. But it's not just Paul. It's not just missionaries. It's not just pastors or, or leaders. It's any man who is in Christ. He is committed to us the word of reconciliation. Let me tell you what he's doing in that. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse four is on the screen. Would you just check out what God says about this? He says, but as we were allowed of God, because man, it's such a blessed privilege to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Don't miss this. The, what God is doing in entrusting you with the gospel instead of his angels. What he's doing in entrusting you with the, the power of God into salvation instead of writing it in the heavens for them just to read it. He's trying your heart. He's testing you. What is it, what's he about? He says, it's about who you want to please. He says, we speak not as pleasing men, but God. What God is doing with the entrustment of the gospel is he's saying, who do you care more about? Who do you want to please, me or men? And the sad revelation is that the vast majority of Christians want to please men more than we want to please God. Listen, we can talk about how good the gospel has been in your life. Don't, don't lose sight of that. You can talk about how good the gospel is going to be for somebody else, but the ultimate, when it comes down to brass tacks, the reason we share the gospel isn't because we love others so much or we're so happy about what God has done in our life. We want others to be able to experience it. All those are great. But the foundational reason we share the gospel is to please God because he has entrusted us with a ministry and he's given us the word of reconciliation. So I have in your notes, and I think it may be on the screen, some alarming statistics. Some of you are like nerds, I know, so you're gonna love this. Alarming statistics, evidence that we wanna please man more than God. We'll just do these quick, right? 95%, you've probably heard this stat before. 95% of Christians have never led a soul to Christ. These are all new creatures who are given a purpose, a new ministry, and given the power to do it the word of reconciliation. Less than 2% of Christians are involved in the ministry of evangelism. That they take any time to say, I, I need to reach lost people and put effort into it. And maybe that's because the next statistic, 89% of ministry leaders have zero time reserved on their list of weekly priorities for going out to evangelize. Listen, man, I'm a pastor. I know how it is. It's not unusual for pastors to work six or seven days a week. And then in those precious moments where you're not counseling and teaching and discipling and training and correcting and restoring to say, I got, I got to meet lost people somehow. That's tough. And then you've got to also lead your family well. And maybe there are some pastors who are bivocational. They also work a job. Listen, I know how the schedule gets, but listen, this is our purpose in our weekly priorities, we must have time for the ministry that God's entrusted to us. So God has given all of us, some smaller than others, but God has given all of us some circles with lost people in them. And maybe they're neighbors. If you're like, I don't know how it is in the KC area. In Atlanta, we, we pull into our parking spot or our garage, we close the door, and then we get out of our car. 
Some of that is because it's hot, but I'm noticing it's even hotter in this area. Hotlanta is not what it's losing its uh, title, I think. But you've got to be able to meet your neighbors. God's placed you in their circle. Friends, coworkers, schoolmates, acquaintances, they all need the Lord. And we're feeling a little bit down right now, but everybody likes to pick on millennials, right? Well, a lot of millennials, so we'll do it anyway. Let me show you about millennials and evangelism. We got millennials in our church, a lot of them, and I'm thankful for them. Uh, you know, the boomers always like to pick on the millennials, and the millennials always like to call out the boomers. And then here we are, Gen X in the middle, knowing we're the best generation. <laughs> All the midlife crisis guys, yeah! You're with me, I hear you. All right. Millennial Christians know more unbelievers. They have close friends or family members than other older generations. That's awesome. Check this out, this is even better. Almost every single one of them believes sharing the gospel is a part of their Christian faith. Man, praise the Lord for that. Next one, it gets better. Millennial Christians were also the most confident in being able to share their faith compared to other generations. Man, you have more connections with lost people. You see it as part of your faith. If you're a millennial, you're confident in how to share that maybe. And yet 47% believe it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share that faith. Can I just set you free for a moment? If you're a millennial, like the millennials in my church, they need to be liberated from this. The culture is one, uh, maybe it's partially political correctness, but it's ultimately a strategy of the devil to keep you silent with the power of God to salvation. Satan wants to keep them blinded. He doesn't want them to see it and he doesn't want them to hear it. And so he pushes on you this intimidation or this feeling of guilt about sharing the gospel, but sharing the gospel is always right. It's right between you and God because he has given you the word of reconciliation and it's right between you and the lost because it can save their soul from hell. So you're given the ministry of reconciliation. That's your purpose. And you're given the word of reconciliation. That's your power. Let me show you one more thing in our text that he's given to you. Number three, you're called the ambassador of Christ. And if the ministry is the purpose and the word, the gospel, is the power, then being an ambassador of Christ is certainly the position. You are an ambassador. You're a diplomat representing your sovereign to a foreign land. Are you hanging on with that? You've got a king, and you've come to this foreign land to represent your king. That's what an ambassador does. And the Bible uses the term ambassador as a temporary representative. By the way, you won't be here forever. God's bringing you back to your home. And almost every time, there's only one exception in all the scriptures where ambassadors are something other than ambassadors of peace, like Isaiah 33, 7 calls them. Almost every time they're used, ambassadors are bringing a message, seeking peace in light of impending destruction. And that's exactly who you are. You live in a world that is headed for destruction and God has given you a message of peace so that they don't get destroyed. 
the idea is that man has transgressed against God. Man is the one who created this separation, this variance through his sin. And as an ambassador, I'm to seek peace so they don't get destroyed. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 17 says, A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is health. You see that contrast between a faithful ambassador and a wicked messenger. Well, how does somebody become a, a wicked messenger? A wicked ambassador, well, it could be that he's behaving in a way that's misrepresenting his king or dishonoring to his king, but it can also be that he doesn't deliver the message that his king gave him to deliver. And so when we examine our lives and how we're doing with the lost world, we have to consider, and would God classify me as a faithful ambassador? Or would he see me as a wicked messenger? Let me show you one more thing about these ambassadors. Second Corinthians chapter four. It begins in verse three, and it's up on the screen. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who's the image of God, should shine unto them. And from this we can see an ambassador isn't concerned with how the audience responds to his message. His concern is not whether the people agree to and take that message of peace. So we are not concerned about whether people receive the gospel, turn to Jesus and are saved, or whether they reject it. That's not our primary concern. We, we have what we would prefer. We have what our heart wants. But our main concern is that we convey accurately and persuasively the message of our King. That, that verse, that context continues in verse five, and it says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. See, this is the thing about an ambassador. Ambassador doesn't promote himself. Your job at living in this world is not to make sure everybody has a good opinion of you. Rather, it's to seek the honor and promote the, the glory of Christ. He says, and he calls him Christ the Lord, an ambassador isn't one to be served himself. He serves his Lord. That's what he says in ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. That context continues into verse six where it says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, an ambassador isn't concerned with being accepted in the foreign country. He's part of a, of a different kingdom. He serves a different king. And so it is with you. You're an ambassador of Christ. And with this in mind, I want us to turn to one place. Would you turn to Ezekiel chapter 22? I don't know if you need to hear this. We, in our church, we always tell them there's a table of contents in the beginning of your Bible that will show you where Ezekiel is. We have to tell them that on lots of places because there's a lot of new believers and sometimes you think everybody speaks the same language, they don't. Ezekiel 22 is speaking of Israel's sin and the coming judgment that's coming. And if we were to track through it, we don't have time to track through it, but if you were just to maybe circle that chapter, Psalm 22, or Ezekiel 22, and come back and look at it, you'll find like in verse 26, it's talking about the priests. These are the religious leaders, and it says that they call unholy things holy, and they call holy things unholy. Does that remind you of 
any place that you know of where religious leaders are calling holy things unholy? It sounds a lot like our country because if you keep reading in verse 27, it talks about princes. That's the government. And it says that they shed blood, they destroy souls, they get dishonest gay. These guys are corrupt and evil. Does that sound familiar to you? In verses 25 and 28, it talks about the prophets. You could liken these to the preachers. They, they take possessions, they devour souls, and they preach messages that aren't from God's word. We heard about it last night. People's own ideas with the Bible sprinkled on top and say, this is a message from God. Even the people, it says in verse 29, the people oppress others, they steal, they afflict immigrants. Does any of that sound like some place that you know of? And God says, I'm gonna destroy this place. So he says in verse 30, Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap for me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. God's saying, I'm looking for somebody. I'm looking at all the sin going on, and I'm looking for someone to stand in that gap, to be a bridge. And it does take both to make up a hedge, to keep one leg of that bridge connected to the Lord, reaching out to him in prayer and being filled with the Spirit. But the other one, standing in the gap, reaching out to lost man. God has called us to be that bridge to reconcile a lost world to a holy God. And God says, I sought for a man and I only found a few. That's not what he says. He says, I found none. As much of the abundance of sin sounds like our country, the absence of witness sounds like our country as well. And this has been a consistent problem. This isn't just a United States of America problem. All through time, this has been the problem. When Jesus was here in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, he says he saw people as sheep having no shepherd. And then he says he had compassion on them. You see, when we see people as sheep having no shepherd, when we see the, the sin of their lives and, and the lostness that they're in, the wandering that they have, we're often not filled with compassion, but disdain, ridicule, in John chapter 5 and verse 7, there's, an, there's a paralyzed man who's by the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? And he says, I have no man. There's no one to help me. Somehow Christians have excused themselves and their silence by concluding that our country, the people just, they've already heard the gospel. That, that people don't want the gospel. Can I ask you, I love doing this. Raise your hand if somebody has shared the gospel with you in the last year. Awesome. Would you keep your hand up for a second and put, but those, if that person is in this room, would you lower your hand? How could we have so many Christians in our community? Thank you. How can we have so many Christians in our community? But of the hundreds of us, we can only find five or six hands where somebody shared the gospel with them. 
Now, I won't do it the opposite way. Raise your hand if you've shared the gospel, because I know you're liars. You'll probably lie. <laughs> Listen, there's no proof that people don't want the gospel. But there is compelling evidence that we're not sharing it. In Acts chapter 8, the last example is the Ethiopian eunuch. He's from Ethiopia. He's on a task. He's, he's a eunuch. Philip comes to him. He ends up, he, he gets in the chariot with him. And the man says, is reading the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I? Except some man should guide me. See, what this world needs is they need a man. And, and this man, he seemingly would not be interested in the gospel. He's an Ethiopian. He, he's a eunuch at that. He's a man with great position and authority. And he's, he's carrying a great treasure. He's on his way somewhere. He's traveling and busy. All of those would be reasons why we, you and I would say, uh, not right now, this is a bad time for this guy. The timing just wasn't right. He's not interested. But until Philip got in his chariot, he didn't know that he was already reading the prophet Isaiah and wondering, what does this mean? That he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And until you get involved in somebody's life, you can think they're not interested but it's just because you're ignorant. You don't know what's going on. You don't know the circumstances or the musings or what keeps them up at night. I sought for a man, but I found none. And I wonder, as God seeks for someone to be a messenger of peace to your neighbors, will he find one? You know, he loves your neighbors so much that he sent his only begotten son to die in their place. And he's called you to stand in the gap. The question is, will you? Your relative is going to die. They're going to go to hell. And God calls you to be an ambassador. Will you present the message of the king? Your boss, your coworker, they're separated from God by their sins. Will you reconcile them to God? Your classmates and teammates are guilty before God. Will you speak the word of reconciliation? Listen, God's going to pour out his wrath on people, not just in this world, but Revelation 21.8 talks about all sinners have their part in the lake of fire, an eternal torment, and God's called you to be a bridge. You're probably for the overwhelming majority of us in here. You, you've come to a camp to, to spend time with the Lord, and you're probably saved. You have probably been made that new creature, and I want you to know today, by, on the authority of God's word, he's made you a new creature so that you can be a preacher. And he has lost people who desperately need the gospel all around you, and he's testing you with the word of reconciliation to see if you will be faithful to him, if you really want to please him. So I want to give you a moment to pray. So if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe the... You would just commit to the Lord. Maybe you've never led anybody to the Lord. Maybe you used to, but that ministry has gone stale in your life. Would you give your life to him again and surrender to the ministry that he's given to you? Would you call on him and repent for being silent with his message? Would you pray 
for an intentional friendship with one person. Would you ask God to give you an open door where he's already working and for boldness to speak up? Listen, as you pray, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, doubtless, some people who don't fit into the majority, that you're here but you're not 100% for sure that God has made you a new creature. You can't go back to a time in your life where, where he changed you, where you called on Jesus to save you and he radically transformed your life. I'm not talking about a, a, a religious experience or an emotional experience, but you're not certain that you've been forgiven of your sins, you've been made a new creature. And I, today, it's maybe the most important thing we'll do is to give you an opportunity because God did send his only begotten son to die on the cross to pay for your sins, to die in your place, the death that you deserved. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. And he makes a promise that if you'll believe on him and you'll confess him with your mouth, you'll be saved. And so there are people all around that are pastors and leaders. You likely know somebody Maybe you need somebody to pray with you to show that to you. Would you just take this moment while they're praying? If I could have a couple pastors, maybe just stand up and be ready. If God's dealing with your heart, you need to be saved. You need to make sure that you've been made a new creature. There's some pastors standing. Would you just go to one, get up from your seat now? God's calling you to salvation. God, I thank you for your word. What an incredible privilege that you would trust us with the gospel. We thank you for what you've done in our lives to save us. And God, we, we desperately want to please you. So I pray that you'll give these, your people, boldness with the gospel that you've entrusted to them. God, I pray that you'd give them wisdom on how to reach people, connect with them, and care about them so that they have opportunities to reconcile the world that you love, to yourself. God, I pray for people in this room that don't know you as Savior yet. Your word tells us they're headed for destruction. And God, I know that you love them, so I pray that you would work in their hearts, open their eyes to the gospel, to what you've done for them, and call them to salvation, God. Help them to humble themselves, not caring what anybody thinks, but to want to be reconciled with you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.